1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Tarek Bolat. He's the co-founder and CEO at WaveSense. Tarek, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Kevin. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Selfishly, I love the space that you guys are in. But maybe before we get into what exactly you guys do at WaveSense, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I I grew up in the Bay Area in Northern California, sort of the cauldron then uh, and and still today of, you know, high technology startups. So really grew up around kind of business building and, and fast growing businesses.
1: Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why?
0: yeah good question. So I did uh, a joint degree in economics and political science and a bunch of philosophy courses. so actually not really what you might think of as a traditional sort of technology founder, but those were subjects that I thought really melded well together in terms of how to think about the world and society and and what was sort of going on at the time and and how things might you know develop in the future
1: interesting okay so. Walk us through getting out of university, your career, getting your MBA, and then we'll dive into uh, WaveSense.
0: Yeah, so uh, graduated, went and did strategy consulting, like uh, like many uh, many graduates do. Um, you know, learned a lot, cut my teeth there in terms of how to think about businesses from sort of a traditional analysis perspective, business development and strategy. Then ended up getting an MBA and really kind of shifted gears then to thinking about new business creation. You know, how do you start businesses that are going to make a real dent in the world? Um, How do you fund them? How do you staff them? How do you, uh, you know, build a customer base? Uh, And so really focused on that while in school. Uh, And then ultimately after school, helped build a large renewable energy business. Uh, that was headquartered in New York and San Francisco, really around some innovative ways to operate and finance huge wind and solar power plants. I very think cool. at one point we were sort of powering uh, about 105,000 households or so.
1: Oh wow, uh, very cool! Uh,
0: and those were power plants across the uh, uh, the U.S. and and Canada. Um, and then from there, you know, I had moved up to Boston, where where WaveSense is based today. Um, where I live today, and you know, I really enjoyed the technology impact uh, work uh, that went on in renewable energy, and so I started looking in that, around for sort of a step, another step change technology that could really, if successful, you know, drive a huge change in how we all live our lives today, and and that's sort of what brought me to uh, to Wavesense.
1: Okay, so how did you discover? What WaveSense has become, and what made you actually decide to pursue it—it is it a business.
0: Yeah, so I learned—you uh, know—I learned about some of the core technical work that had been done by my co-founder and our current CTO uh, at MIT Lincoln Laboratory, which is a. Okay place where uh, military R&D, in effect, uh, goes on. That's administered by MIT. And he and his colleagues there had built a really impressive positioning technology, which was uh, and, and is sort of the cornerstone, uh, was the cornerstone work of, uh, of our product today. Um, and, you know, they had published a little bit about it. And to me, it was one of the few instances of totally novel technology that would drive a real shift in perspective about how to solve an important problem which is how do we make cars safer and higher performing no one else was doing it um and so uh you know i i ended up reaching out to to my now co-founder uh and uh you know we sort of went uh, went from there
1: so you didn't know each other at all before you guys became co-founders is that what i'm hearing correctly
0: that's right. And that sort of runs against the common wisdom of, uh, you know, that you hear uh, in Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere about starting sure. a company. You know, oftentimes the advice and probably it's good advice is to uh, is to start a company with someone you know really well that you've worked with before. Um, and that uh, probably is true if you have that. But, you know, it, that sort of narrows the, uh, the, the set of things you, you can really build. And so sure. for us, we, we ended up having really complementary skill sets, you know, uh, him being sort of the world expert in this technology, myself coming, coming with sort of the business building skills, common vision for the company. And so it's ended up being a really productive partnership, uh, you know, as a result.
1: Very cool. So what does WaveSense do and how has it evolved over the last few years, especially coming out of, uh, research?
0: Yeah. So simplest way to think about what WaveSense does is that it enables cars to navigate autonomously, basically position themselves in a bunch of scenarios that today are not possible. And these are scenarios scenarios that I think your listeners will be familiar with. Things like today, if you're in your car and you're using a system that keeps you in your lane or tells you when you're departing yeah. your lane, that's a, that's a system that you looks at lane markings to, to tell you that information. Right. Now, of course, lane markings are not always present, or they're faded, or they're confusing. Um, yeah. And so, we, <laughs> we, to say the least, you know we've all uh, you know we've all we've all seen all sorts of different roads out there. And um, when that happens, that feature switches off. And switches off, and that's a big source of frustration for folks that really want to rely on that feature. So, so WaveSense enables that feature to be on all the time. It'll, Talk a little bit about how we do that in a second. Similarly, things like parking a car autonomously, uh, you know, in a garage or in a parking lot, taking your car off-road uh, to do some really cool kind of trail creation and, and uh, different features there, all the way through to, you know, what we would call full autonomy. You know, what people think of when they think of a robo taxi for an autonomous vehicle. That, right. vehic- that vehicle needs to be able to operate in all sorts of conditions, whether it's snowing out, Um, whether or not the car can see everything it needs to see on the surface. Um, You need to be able to efficiently go from point A to point B uh, and really earn the public's trust that you're going to do that in a safe and reliable way every time. And those are some of the things that that Wavesense is enabling today.
1: Very cool. So how is your technology similar and different from other providers? Because you just mentioned something about we see like if you're scanning the, the lane markings on the ground, like how is that similar to what you guys do or, or different?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So you, all of the sensors that you'd see today, which would typically be a radar or a camera uh, in the case okay. of lane markings or something called a LIDAR, which is just a sensor that um, uses uh, light to, uh, to characterize the, the surface. All of those are looking at different things around the surface. Um, And that's how we as humans drive cars. We look around, we see what's going on around us when we make decisions. What's really challenging about that from a sort of robotics perspective or a sensor's perspective is that the surface area around us is always changing. Things never really look quite the same, very unpredictable environment. And sometimes two different things. Can look the same in a way that confuses uh, confuses you. So, if I see two identical stop signs, for instance, um, I need to know is that the stop sign on the corner of Peachtree Ave or is that the, the stop sign on the corner of Birch Ave? Um, right. And so, what we've done is invent a totally new perspective of how to generate the same types of of outputs, um, which is we've created a radar, something called a ground positioning radar. That images the subsurface of the road, so we're talking about looking ten feet into the road with this this uh, special radar we've designed, and that basically is giving you a fingerprint. You can think of it as you know same same sort of reliability of a fingerprint and uniqueness of a fingerprint of what's going on b- below the surface. And a lot of folks ask me, well, okay, that's cool, but why would you do that? You know, what what's what's the benefit of doing that? And sure. the benefit is that. You're basically creating a map or a fingerprint of the subsurface that is stable over very, very long time periods and always looks unique, always looks different um, from other, from you know, from inch to inch of road. What that means is that once you've created that fingerprint, you can then track to it and know exactly where you are to the centimeter level. Almost like you know, you can think of it as like you've created. Um, rail type of railroad tracks, beneath, uh, beneath the road, you've got a very unique set of, uh, you've got a very unique map. That's going to tell you exactly where you are as you sort of glide along the road and, and that's true, whether or not it's snowing, it's sunny, it's raining. You have lane markings or not that subterranean yeah. fingerprint is always going to look the same.
1: Yeah. That was gonna be my next question is like, how does weather factor into that? But yeah, that's, that's actually really fascinating. Um, okay. So. You're, you're doing a subterranean radar. What other types of sensors and, and tracking and mapping do you guys do? Because it's more complicated than just that one type, correct?
0: Um, autonomous driving generally is you take a lot of different inputs from different sensors, hopefully each of which are, are generating different data from one another independent okay. data. What we've really focused on uh, and, and are experts at is the creation of a couple of different things. One is the actual um, hardware, the actual radar unit itself. Um, okay. This is something that is going to go on millions of vehicles uh, around the world. And so it's gotta be really, really robust, um, small, uh, uh, lightweight, while also preserving very, very high performance. So we're experts at designing that, uh, that radar. We're also experts at creating the map uh, of the subsurface. So that's like a, that's data sort of a data expertise, um, uh, and the algorithms that power, uh, that power sort of the, uh, the navigational out- outputs of that map. Um, and so it's sort of a, a hybrid that you don't see too often, which is that we've got the hardware. So the traditional kind of mechanical and electrical engineering, uh, and then we've got software engineering, cloud engineering, cause these maps are stored in the cloud and, uh, Propagated to uh, to vehicles uh, as well as algorithms, and so it's a, it's a sort of neat. And one of the reasons why you know this is a this is a really fun place to work, and uh, you know why why I'm coming to work every day is, is so great, is that it's multidisciplinary in the way that a lot of things aren't. Um, and so that's sort of our domain of expertise. We leave things like camera and lidar to other folks who are uh, who are experts at that and who we feel we don't have differentiated
1: advantage over. Got you. Okay. So then, when you're doing the autonomous stuff, how do you? Because like, well, just driving obviously on a sunny day compared to a, a really cold and snowy, and or rainy day is quite different. How do you guys? How does your technology kind of solve for those scenarios? Right? Uh, is that like? Is it quite different? Or or walk us through that?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. And the the beauty of our product is that. it, it, unlike almost every other sensor, it isn't different. So when we create that subterranean fingerprint on a sunny day, uh, and if you were then to look at that same fingerprint on a, on a snowy day, for instance, it's going to look exactly the same because it's below the surface. It's not subject to, you know, falling snow, which causes sensors issues or covered lane markings, which causes sensors issues. And so, all that frenetic activity that happens on the surface, which is a source of a uh, uh, real get performance gaps for you know current technology, kind of falls away because it's always looking consistent and stable, regardless of uh, of what's going on on the surface.
1: Okay, so you guys also work where GPS can't work. So how do how do you build something that basically like, does it resync when it's back in a, a GPS available area, or or how does that offline online kind of thing work?
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. So we can sort of think of GPS as sort of one of many different um, inputs into how one knows where they are. Uh, and so when GPS fades away um, or is choppy, we're just using different inputs uh, to to tell us our position. And so if it's available, that's great. We're going we're gonna to use that because, you know, we want to use everything possible, uh, and have as much data as possible to generate a position. But we've designed the system such that, you know, if that's not the case, and obviously that's, you know, that's not the case in many different um, types of environments, um, whether it's, you know, kind of urban canyons or tunnels or what have you, parking garages, um, you're still able to, to get a, a very high quality uh, position.
1: Okay. And then if you're obviously your technology sitting under a car, how does that, like, you probably have to build it pretty rugged because, you know, people go over a speed bump or run over something like, how do you guys handle kind of just it making sure it's tough enough to handle just the everyday kind of person or being in a warehouse or, or something like that?
0: Yeah. So, um, uh, you design it to be very, very rugged. It's sort of in an enclosure or, a, or a okay. casing, um, and that's actually a pretty well-worn path in automotive. Obviously, they're designing—you uh, know—suppliers and automakers are designing parts and vehicles to withstand, you know, extreme temperature swings, a lot of, you know, pounding from rocks and debris and what have you, as well as like just the test of time. Um, and so that's, uh, that's something that, that we do today and, uh, and is an important piece of the puzzle. Some of the advantages of you know, WaveSense's product is that it, there are no moving parts in it. So sometimes some sensors will have moving parts and that's a real, you know, that, that means things are just gonna break more often typically. Um, and it also doesn't need to be cleaned in the same way that an optical sensor would be. So, you know, if you have a um, camera Uh, You know, that can get uh, dirt or dust on it or ice on it, what have you, rendering it useless. Similarly, with a LIDAR, um, that needs to be cleaned. And even some radars that operate in different frequency bands than we do, like the typical radars you have on a vehicle today that face forward, um, can get blocked by ice. The way that we've designed this sensor is that it's um, robust to all of that type of activity. And so you don't have to have the burden of cleaning it and maintaining the sensor, which, you know, as a consumer in a vehicle, you really don't want to, you know, you want the car to, to work. You don't really want to have to do things like clean sensors, um, if you can help it.
1: Sure. So what types of vehicles can WaveSense's technology be put on? Is it just traditional stuff? Is it, and if anything, walk us through that
0: sure so any types of uh you know vehicle cars um uh, including autonomous vehicles similarly long-haul trucking is is an application where we've seen a lot of interest in activity um where you know you want to make the driver's job easier um by by automating as much of the uh the journey and steering as possible um and you are reducing sort of driver fatigue. Similarly, we see applications in areas like mining, mining vehicles, where uh, where warehouses and distribution centers, which are becoming increasingly automated. Um, anything where you have a vehicle that needs to move around autonomously, um, you can uh, you can you um, know you can envision this working uh, very, very well. again, because you're just looking at a simple fingerprint that isn't gonna change. You can imagine another example that we see is like ports. Like ports are really challenging for autonomous right. vehicles because the environment is just different shipping containers moving around all the time, it never looks consistent. Right. Um, so you can use this and that example for autonomous vehicles, the ports, um, where, uh, where you can look at the, the subsurface fingerprint um,
1: and operate in that environment. Okay, so let's go with your port example if I have, say, I don't know, 10 vehicles at a port and they are all in driving around, can they share data that somebody else has picked up and does that data get merged? So I know that today there's no shipping container in this area so I can autonomously drive there, but tomorrow there's a shipping container there and I can't. Like, Walk us through that kind of stuff or, or do you guys handle that?
0: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of sort of position information sharing that you can uh, that you can uh, generate as a result of this. So, like one way to think about it is that if I'm in you know vehicle A and you're in vehicle B, um, those and they're generating very precise positions. They can communicate those positions to one another and ensure that they're never going to hit each other. Just right. as similarly, I can confirm where the vehicle has been. So you know, let me give you an example, like has, um, have, have we picked up this shipping container or not? Um, you know, you can verify that you can very easily tell if the the vehicle has been there, even if you might not have traditional means of of
1: location. Interesting. Okay. So, and then I, I would assume then if it's a brand new port, for example, that's just built, you have to wait for, one of the vehicles to actually go through or go over that section to collect that data. And then it gets shared everywhere else. Or or how do you get that original data? It's just, somebody has got to physically drive over that.
0: That's right. It's a great question. So you have to create some map based technology. So you create the map it's simply done by driving over the area that you want to then okay. later be able to you know, operate autonomously. In. Um, and then, uh, and then next, next times
1: you, you go through that, you're able to track that map okay interesting okay because and then because i'm and i could be totally wrong here but from my understanding how say like google maps works or something is they're within they're accurate within meters of something so obviously them trying to use that data to do some sort of autonomous driving through say like a drive-through through through a parking lot that, like you can't be meters you guys are like Insanely accurate. Like you're you basically know exactly where a car needs to be and you can replicate that car taking that exact path within centimeters, correct?
0: That's right. That's right. So like okay. the, the if you think of like Google Maps as we or any any sort of typical GPS for that matter, yeah. um, you know, that's accurate as you mentioned within a few meters, which is great for directions. Um, right. uh, but obviously doesn't work for when for an autonomous vehicle you know you can't be three meters to the left or right or where you think of where you think you are um, and operate safely uh, and so what we've done is create a way to create that that centimeter level positioning um, and most importantly create that almost all of the time so there are other technologies that can create that centimeter level position but they have significant gaps. And so, you know, just like, you know, you wouldn't buy a car that didn't work in the rain or snow. You know, you don't want to um, be buying a technology that only is going to work in these certain applications. You want something that works all the time.
1: Interesting. Do you want to give us some other examples of how people have leveraged your technology? Because we've just kind of scratched the surface of what your technology can do in different verticals
0: yeah so there's there's a couple of you know really exciting ones um you know i mentioned doing things like in mining or um or trucking uh warehouses even things like forklifts um mapping utilities so like this is a, this is not a positioning based application but a byproduct of creating these these um, maps is that you know, you're able to say, hey, where are the gas lines or the water pipes? Um, to a shocking degree, utilities don't actually have very good map data about where precisely uh, their buried infrastructure um, assets are. And so there's been a lot of interest in you know, what I would call kind of like uh, subterranean, uh, subterranean predictive maintenance and like
1: mapping um, for, for different types of applications. So completely outside of a vehicle, then, right, or just like a little handheld kind of thing?
0: Um, no. So this would be uh, the handheld things exist today. The difference okay. here is that we're mapping at very large scale, very quickly. Okay. Okay. Got you. Um, and so, so like, like, if you yeah. want to know, like, where you know, you for a utility will often know, like, where the main line is it's running down a highway, but as it gets distributed into, um, you know, a neighborhood, for instance, there's much poorer uh, location data for
1: that got you interesting okay and then the other thing you guys um have on your website that i thought was kind of interesting is the kind of like little delivery robot type stuff do you want to talk about how that's similar and different to putting it in a car for example
0: yeah definitely so what's interesting about that is that those are like sidewalk delivery robots which are you know being developed by some of the really large logistics companies out there Um, And what they want to do is have something that can navigate, you know, down a sidewalk, which it turns out is actually a really hard thing to do because there's folks walking on the sidewalk. You're oftentimes, um, sidewalks are against buildings and so there's poor GPS. Uh, And so for that application, it's, it's really simply being able to say, okay, this is a really hard environment to generate a precise position in. But if we're using, you know, a WaveSense product, we're able to do that. Um, and so it, it sort of opens up what's possible in terms of where things can be delivered um, efficiently.
1: So how does that work then? If you're using, if a company's using one of these delivery robots and it's, there's a ton of uh, pedestrian traffic on the sidewalk, how does it know how to like navigate around them and kind of get back on track?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, we would map the width of the sidewalk. Would be pre-mapped. And then it would be using its cameras or other, you know, surface okay. train sensors basically that are doing something called perception. What's called in the industry perception, which is going to say, ah, there's someone, you know, 10 feet ahead of me. I better list to the right or list to the left um, and okay. go around them. But that whole time you're going to be on your map. So you're going to know the the, uh, the delivery robot in this case will know exactly where it is that whole time, which is very important for it to do so that it doesn't, you know, go off uh go off track.
1: Sure. And then if it if there's Mm -hmm. some sort of issue, does a human get a notification to say like this is stuck, you need to manually get it back on course kind of thing? Or or how does that work?
0: Yeah, so I mean typically as far as I understand and we don't you know ourselves run these uh delivery networks, but I believe if there's an issue in in some of the the test, you know the test uh, testing they're doing in the field today. If someone's watching that very closely and it gets flagged, okay. Yeah, uh, you know, when when it's high volume uh, deployed, that's gonna we're gonna have to start to think a little bit more creatively about how do you how do you minimize issues and then how do you uh, how do you address them when they arise?
1: Sure. No, that that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious. I think a lot of people um, that have tried kind of anything autonomous or or some of the technology that we've talked about today at least I found with myself, I found I got very comfortable sitting in letting the car drive itself pretty quickly within, you know, probably like a minute or two of it happening. I felt comfortable, which I thought would take a lot longer. And that technology is nowhere near close to the accuracy that you guys are doing. So how have you found people's confidence of your guys's technology? They might be maybe a little skeptical of- at first, but how has it kind of evolved over time, especially as they've been using it more and more?
0: Yeah, so I think you know we've like like with any new technology and and what WaveSense is doing really is novel. like mo- most most uh, automakers haven't heard of this method until we you know educate sure. them about it for positioning. And so you know what we've done you know, hopefully a good job of is building the confidence of the automakers that this is a really, really robust product. Um, and in the same way that you can get comfortable in a car that's, you know, doing um, lane keeping on a sunny day, you know, the expectation and hope here and plan is that that's still going to be true if there's snow out. And it's sort of, you know, it, it takes sort of a, uh, a leap of imagination to get there because I think right. a lot of us are like, okay, if it's sunny out, I can imagine that. I can imagine being comfortable but if it's you know, s- snowing out, let's say, um, maybe not. But I think if we were to rewind ourselves, you know visit a, a version of ourselves ten, fifteen years ago, we would probably have a hard time imagining how comfortable we would get in in the vehicles that are you know routinely available today and some of the autonomous features on them. And so you know people, uh, I think humans uh, with high performing technology get comfortable with it very quickly. It sounds like that was your experience as well
1: yeah yeah. it was actually like shocking to me. I, I think it still kind of shocks me, and it's been a number of years since I like tr- truly tried it. And it's interesting, just, yeah, like how fast I was totally fine with it and on the highway, like so I don't know, it was just or the freeway it was interesting, right? yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think just people just need to try it, experience it, and then they realize like, wow, this is actually works really well. um and it's come a long way since I even tried it a number of years ago. Um, which actually kind of leads me to my next question is how do you guys actually push updates and what is the lifespan of your product? Because obviously some people own a vehicle for a few years to a decade, maybe a couple decades, depending on where they're putting uh, or like what type of uh, vehicle this is getting installed on.
0: Yeah. So in terms of the lifespan, maybe we'll talk about that first. The hardware is designed, uh, you know, to be on vehicles for the for the life of the vehicle, and will, okay. will be so so designed um, when it hits production. In terms of the actual capability, what's really exciting about our product is that it's always getting better um, because we are, um, in addition to creating maps ourselves once this is on, um, you know, passenger vehicles, each of, those, uh, each of those drivers also becomes a mapper. And so there's this sort of crowdsourced effect and you're always getting bigger and better coverage. And so unlike most products um, in automotive that depreciate once you buy them, you know, you walk off the lot, I forget what the exact saying is, but you walk off the lot and the car loses 10% of its value. Uh, yeah. This is a product that's gaining in value with every year because the, functioning and capability is growing as more folks uh, you know, use it on, on the roads. That encourages more folks to want to have it, you know, it gets better. And so there's a sort of this positive feedback loop that that's in effect.
1: Interesting. So is it possible to get access to my car's data or, and, and what I'm getting at is if I'm in an accident, for example, and it's my fault or it's the other driver's fault, like, could I use your technology to prove whose fault it is? Because it's like, well, no, Kevin was speeding. he It was clearly his fault. Or like, do you know what I'm getting at there?
0: Yeah. So I don't, I don't think like our, we're giving a positioning input. And so you can, only, okay. you know, um, I don't think that this is going to give you more data from a sort of liability or fault um, perspective okay. than like a GPS might. Um, okay. But cer- certainly, you know, I think the the goal here. And one of the reasons we started wave sense, um, you know, back in 2017 was to actually really improve road safety. So we don't actually have to have these types of, um, these types of, uh, accidents anymore. I mean, gotcha. you know, there are roughly 40,000 road fatalities in the U S every year. Um, and a lot of those can be avoided with much better technology that it assists, uh, human drivers in, uh, in driving safely and, and making the right, on-road decisions.
1: Yeah, I guess it's more like, uh, and the perfect example of that is like the auto-braking kind of thing if you're getting too close, right? Exactly. Like you're, you're doing more stuff like that than just saying like, well, Kevin's speeding. It's like, no, no, just before he hits something, let's just make sure he doesn't hit something. It's like a whole shift, right? Of, of yep. mindset. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So then how much data are you collecting per second or like, Because you guys got to be collecting a ton of data constantly.
0: Yeah, so we we don't sort of publicly release um, database sizes, but we've figured out a a way to make this sort of automotive grade and automotive ready in a way that permits sort of over-the-air updates um, uh, and expansion of uh, the map. Obviously, data on the vehicle is really important. Uh, and yeah. you know, it's, it's sort of a uh, another form of sort of real estate, so to speak. Uh, and okay. so, you know, our job is to make sure that our data uh, size and rates are compatible with what you know the automakers can
1: uh, can stomach. Got you. Okay. And then, yeah. Okay. Interesting. And then, does it have like a SIM card, or how does it actually sync and connect to data?
0: Yeah, so all of the map data is stored locally on the vehicle, and the reason for that okay. is that we don't want to be pinging a remote um, a remote database for for something like this, where the car is right. relying on the information for uh, uh, for autonomous decision making. Okay. Uh, and so the way that it works is that you've got sort of the core maps factory loaded onto the vehicle. Um, and then you're periodically going to get updates of those maps and expansions of the map over the air but it's not like you're doing some real-time sort of cloud synchronization for real-time performance
1: got you okay interesting And, and then yeah obviously like if i'm using this underground i'm clearly not getting updates then right like the vehicle has to come out and then it does it kind of thing
0: um, in terms of uh, in terms of like updates on the map, that's a good, that's a process where, you know, from a, from the crowdsource perspective, the vehicle collects the maps, it shares those back with the central database over the air. Those are verified okay. uh, and then you know, propagated back down to the user.
1: Got you. Okay. Very cool. So I'm curious then where do you kind of see the state of the industry? Because in my best guess i would say we're we're still pretty early on and there's like a ton of stuff that we can still do or or what do you think uh where we're at in the the state of the industry
0: yeah so i sort of break the industry down into assisted driving features that are autonomous or autonomous like okay. um and then you know full autonomy which is sort of the robo taxi industry um and there's been a really interesting dynamic at play, which is that there's been so much talent uh, and smarts and capital put behind the fully autonomous industry over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, and while they haven't, you know, while we don't have, you know, autonomous taxis crawling all over the, the streets of every major American city yet, we have seen a radical increase in performance of uh, software and hardware and compute in a way that has sort of come back to passenger vehicles and enabled them to be much more capable. So there's this sort of symbiotic relationship, which is that even though we're not there yet on full autonomy, the uh, traditional vehicles are now able to leverage a lot of that work because there's a human driver still behind the wheel uh, right. and you can do you know all sorts of new uh, newfangled autonomous features that probably wouldn't be possible without the uh the excitement uh and momentum behind full autonomy.
1: Interesting. Do you could you use your technology for some sort of like flying uh aircraft because or, or not really.
0: Um not uh you wouldn't use this on a uh on an aircraft um for some of these uh you know uh, uh vertical take like you need to be on the you know close to the ground to use this. So okay. The degree that it's useful while the aircraft is on the ground, uh, you can use it, but it's not like you can be know, 100 meters in the air and uh, okay, you, at least in its current in, at least in its current iteration.
1: Got you. Okay, that's kind of what I assume. But then I was like, well, maybe just because if you know where I kind of am, you could just. But yeah, no, that it makes sense. Um, interesting. Okay, so do you have any other predictions? or thoughts around how fast we're going to start actually seeing some of this stuff actually make it into, obviously it's in some of the higher end cars, but maybe even some, the more kind of mid range or or entry level cars. Is that coming in the next like three to five years? It's going to take longer or what are your thoughts around that?
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, I can tell you, you know, we're working with some of the largest automakers in the world right now and they're not their plans are not just to put this on luxury vehicles it may start there um, but the plan is really to ensure that there is you know it might be different levels levels of functionality and features but they're they they're going to power their sort of mid-level um, and economy class vehicles with some of the same technology and capabilities um, that exist uh, exist on that are maybe targeted for the you know,
1: premium segment to uh, to start with interesting so if you guys release another um version of the actual physical sensor can i upgrade it or is that just kind of like no that's made for my vehicle that's it
0: yeah we don't really envision you know it's hard it's hard to um swap things out once they're in the field Um, but uh that said we are going to like the, the real improvements uh from a user perspective come in uh, in the form of map expansion and, um, you know, m- modules or features, all of which are so software driven. And okay. so while you may not have, you know, if you have a seven-year-old car with Waysons' product on it, at some point in the future, you, you know, there will be a new hardware release. But what you really care about is that, it started off with highway driving and now it includes, you know, parking in the thousand most popular parking garages in in America, or it started with highway driving and now it covers the metro area that you live closest to. Um, That's kind of the lift that you really want from a, from a user perspective.
1: Yeah. Okay. So how do you guys manage that though? Because as somebody that just builds software for the web and I've done a little bit of hardware stuff, You know, just trying to get your web app updated and working across all the browsers is challenging enough. Never mind a a bunch of vehicles, some that are brand new, some that are a few years old. How do you guys manage that or what advice do you give to people getting into the industry? Because that's got to be astronomically challenging.
0: So it's a couple of things. I think, you know, thing one is that you know, we have been fortunate enough to build a team of some of the brightest minds, you know, in the world in this sector, um, sure. and they're able to build products that are uh, scalable uh, and that are, are able to stand the test of time um, from a hardware and from a software perspective. We also ensure that we have a really tight, um, transparent relationships with the automakers that we work with. So that as we think about planning together for the future, we ensure that this is compatible not just for the first year that you you know drive off a lot, but you know for year seven and year ten and, and year twelve. Um, and so as we're planning with them um, and looking at what the future looks like when this is on roads, uh, that's a really big part of it. Um, you, and that's not just for products like WaveSense; they think about this, you know, long-term planning for everything that they release. Um, and so that's, uh, that's been an important, I think, learning for us, uh, and something that you know, we would really advocate to folks in this space of really tight, transparent relationships with your, uh, with your customers.
1: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's very cool. Um, but we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about WaveSense and anything else you want to mention?
0: Yeah, so uh, our website is www.wavesense.io, um, and uh, and we are actively, you know, building a team here. So for folks that might be interested in joining it, uh, we've got a careers page there, um, and uh, and really exciting, excited to uh, make some big announcements. You know, we hope later this year and, and into next year around the company, uh, and some of the progress that we've uh, that we've made. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Really fun to be on with you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Welcome to building the future hosted by Kevin Horick with millions of listeners a month, building the future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full show times past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com.